sitting and I tripped up a stair. I was, it was a babysitting job where I was staying there for the whole weekend and uh, babysitting a 10 year old boy while the parents were out of town. And I made him dinner and I went to take some bottles to the recycling room and their laundry room and I forgot there was a step up. So I was holding all these glass bottles and containers and I just tripped on that step. And instead of um, breaking my fall on top of the bottles, I just broke it with my face. So, yeah. How long of a process was that? The, the, not the falling, the, the healing from the falling. It all felt for, like it lasted, it went forever, you know, <laughs> it was definitely slow. But um, I was, uh, my jaw was wired shut for two months. And it was a very long two months, very strange, not being able to talk or eat or anything like that. I am from North Carolina and my parents live on a farm and I just went there to kind of recuperate and my mom made me milkshakes and stuff. I definitely was very embarrassed and it was strange to not, uh, to not be able to talk, but also I got really into, in my own head in this very, very weird way um, where I just saw people as them you know, like, that's something that they do. Oh, like, drinking a coffee, that's something that they do with the other ones of them. You know, <laughs> it's like this kind of alien experience, observing people in this far away kind of way. You felt resentful for people no. who were still doing it? No, it just felt like I was observing them. You know, I was just like, wow, they're eating crunchy food. Whoa. You know, it, it was almost like a... I became some kind of alien who was just watching human behavior from this really interesting place. It's funny how the body can forget that, how it felt, you know, on purpose, I guess. That's why people have many children sometimes, (laughs) like they forget the pain. The process of that, that period of you just not being able to talk to anybody. Were you able to be creative? Were you making music during that time? I, uh, I was sort of, but I think I was more... It was more into just being quiet, reading books and taking long walks and stuff and uh, on the farm and trying to just just have like a kind of just a time by myself without music so much. I played a couple shows. I opened for um, for Julia Holter one time and then I also opened for one of my favorite bands called Low. You know that band Low? I really had wanted to open them, open for them and meet them for a long time because I've loved their music for so long. And um, uh, Johnny Brenda's, which is a venue in Philly where I lived at the time, they asked me to open for low and I was really excited, but my jaw was wired shut. So I just remember hanging out with them in the green room and not being able to talk to them at all. So I'm pretty nerdy and I'm sure I would have asked them a million questions questions and just kind of gushed about them if my jaw hadn't been wired shut so maybe that was like a saving grace but it was very very strange to have this one wish fulfilled but then not being able to talk to them at all there's a degree to that uh, with every goal or wish we have where it never I mean and obviously it never plays out exactly the way the way it's going to be in your head yeah there's always some kind of like little cosmic wink or something like some little kind of like universe laughing at you like (laughs) do you get a sense of um why you kind of pulled back from music during that period uh no I I don't know I think um it might have been a technical thing because a majority of the period I was staying with my parents on the farm 
and I didn't really have any of the gear or anything. So I didn't have my own harp, which has a pickup or I didn't, I think I brought my, um, my laptop with the interface and stuff, but I didn't bring any of the pedals and I recorded maybe one song. Then, um, I definitely recorded one song during that period, but I don't think I recorded it on the farm. I can't really remember, but I think I was just like kind of bare bones at my parents' place without the equipment that I really needed to write something in the usual way. And maybe, maybe I just didn't feel like it. I don't know. Sometimes, you know, it comes in waves and you can't really force it. So like right now, for example, I'm kind of not forcing myself to make stuff. I don't know about you, but like, definitely have have had more creative periods in my lifetime than right now it's, it's a bit of a double-edged sword because I, I do find that that it is useful for me to to throw myself into my work to some degree part of me has always been jealous of, of people who are able to freelance and kind of make their own schedule but at the same time i i've never i don't understand how they fill the days i i question it even more now during the the, the quarantine now yeah you don't make yourself take take office hours there isn't sort of a certain amount per day that you're you kind of force yourself to play music no i don't force myself to do it at all i mean i have some new instruments and some new pedals and i just got this piano and i think if it strikes me i'll sit down and dig in but i'm not really like a routine kind of person or i'm usually on tour a big part of the year and so i think my main focus during this time um, has been to just kind of feel kind of make my home really nice like my apartment last november and you know to focus on like making it making it feel like home and cozy and take walks around the neighborhood and kind of try to soothe my brain and other ways besides like doom scrolling and stuff i mean i have a problem I just check the phone too much. But I think like by making myself um, sit down and play music every day, I think it would take some of the some of the magic out of it. You alluded to this a little bit when describing the experience at your parents' farm, but you know, the harp is a very deliberate instrument from the standpoint of you, you can't just casually carry it around with you. It's you know, it's if you're going somewhere for a period of time, you have to very deliberately decide that you're going to bring the harp with you my mom is a harpist though so I did have a harp on the farm just to make that clear but it didn't it doesn't have a pickup in it or anything like that particularly classical harp so luckily you know I did I did practice it I did play it just to keep up my fingers strength and stuff but I don't know I just don't think that I can really um, make myself come up with ideas in that in that way like are good ideas at least like if I'm given an assignment to play on someone's record or you know some kind of session work thing then I'm happy to you know deliver it on time and have a real goal and schedule and stuff but for my own solo stuff I it's hard to make something free within it sounds like to some degree if you're going to sit down and play it's going to be with the intention of, of writing something. Do you still feel like you have to kind of practice? Are you still teaching yourself new stuff? Are you still learning? Yeah, I'm definitely still learning as far as the technology goes. And I also think that I want to keep up like the finger strength and just like the, the technical foundation because I went to college for it um, and studied classical harp growing up and everything. And like, it would be such a shame if 
if I forgot all that stuff that I spent so much time learning and just spent a big part of my life like studying and working so hard. So I want to be able to use that foundation for for writing stuff. And also I do sit down and play and not record it, you know, just, just like to go with a, a vibe and with, you know, feeling an, a bit of inspiration from like a landscape or from a memory or something and sit down and play. But as far as like, okay, I'm going to make myself do this every morning at 930. And then I'll do this and this and this, like, I don't know, I just don't really work. That way. If I'm talking to somebody who is a prose writer or a songwriter, the ways in which the world is influencing their craft, I guess, or if not necessarily literal, certainly more tangible. What is it about, you know, a landscape? And, and I mean, obviously, it's a very abstract question with probably a very abstract answer. But how do you capture that in a piece of instrumental music? It's not so much the landscape. It's more like how the landscape makes me feel personally. And like, a little, it's like, me some kind of secret or something it's like you know the feeling of going to a weird town or like some some place where you get like a creepy vibe or something like that you know it's hard to articulate it and it's easier to articulate that feeling in music for me I guess rather than words I'm not a great writer and I don't have any lyrics in my songs you know so that's just the way that I describe things and articulate things is like through melodies. Is it a process of catharsis? I mean, do you use music to work through feelings? Yeah, for sure. Totally. You're not really able to kind of harness that in the same way right now when everything feels kind of awful all the time? Nope. (laughs) It's not coming. Yeah, I've definitely tried, but it's not coming in the same way. I think it's just because it's so intense and it's so much and like, which problem should I choose? <laughs> like, Which tragedy and which terror? <laughs> you know, there's so much to choose from. It's a bit overwhelming. Um, and also, you know, it's just like the idea of like, oh, you know, there's, pe- there's people being murdered by police. Let me sit down and write a song on my heart. Like, that's not, it's not really, it doesn't feel very right, you know, to synopsize something that's happening right now on, uh, with my instrument. It just doesn't feel good. Synopsize is a really interesting way of putting it because unless it's, it's very clear from the title of the song or, you know, uh, an interview that you're doing, a conversation you're having with somebody after the song has been recorded, um, there's really, I mean, there's really kind of no specific tangible link between the listener and the thing that inspired it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. That's for the best, I think, maybe. Um, because as with this record, I've found that a lot of people find the music to be very calming or very meditational or very soothing. You know, I've had a lot, a lot, especially lately, a lot of people write to me and say like, this took away my stress for 45 minutes or listen to this on my sleep, my sleep playlist or whatever. And um, I don't necessarily love being pigeonholed like that. Like I don't love soundtracking people's yoga classes, but because of like a lot of the songs are about, you know, dead animals or, <laughs> you know, a broken heart, whatever. And I feel like uh, I had to kind of um, grapple with that a little bit, but, uh, but now because of this pandemic and because of every, you know, the nice, nice notes that people have written me, I'm like really 
getting used to letting the letting the dog off the leash or whatever. Like, you know, once I put it out there, then it's not, it's not really mine and my own little secret story anymore. It's, it's, it's the listeners to take to the place where they need it the most or what they want to do with it. It's like their, their choice. So, and I'm happy that it's kind of a bridge between me and the people listening because I don't get to play for them live. Um, and, I'm also living alone and in a quarantine of sorts. So it's like, don't get to talk to very many people. So it's a way of communicating. Allowing yourself to, to let go in that way, allowing yourself to allow the songs to take on a different meaning once they're out in the world. Was that really something that you, you really have learned to do specifically on this last album during this period of time? Definitely more so where I, I have, I'm a Virgo and I have, you know, I like to have things like just, just right. You know, like I, I play a instrument and I like to, I like to design um, how it's going to be, um, you know, like how the record's going to look. I like to approve all that, like the whole, all the parts of it, you know, and feel like it's, it's just a million choices that go along with making the record. And if I really had my way, I guess I would choose that people would just listen to it on like a lonely drive at night or something, you know, instead of like on a calm, a calming app or some like Spotify um, sleepiness playlist or something. But I had to give up that little bit of control, that controlled feeling. And I think it's probably healthy to do that. And it's also been so, so amazing to get notes from people from all over the place we were kind of feeling alone or really, really stressed out. I can't sleep, you know, and thinking about like, Oh, maybe people are essential workers or maybe people listening are nurses and you just never know how people's life, like what people are doing who are listening, you know, for their, for their work. And you can't just assign, assign them ways, ways of taking in your music, you know? So it's becoming clearer and clearer. I even wrote one song on purpose to help people fill out a little bit, which I never would have done before. It's up on my band camp and it was written specifically like it's like a 30 minute piece specifically um, for those people who are looking for music to relax to like a therapeutic style song, which is something I wouldn't have done before. Why were you so averse to this idea of having people listen to it on a, you know, a sleeping app or, or, or listen to it while doing yoga? I mean, in, in my mind, I, uh, I just don't want to be pigeonholed. So I want to be able to make a break sounds or weird sounds or, you know, take adding crazy synths or like some other kind of instruments. I think, I think once you get kind of locked into that therapeutic calm vibe, then yeah, you're, you're kind of locked into that and there's not much room for taking it to a noisier place or a place that's not as palatable or to, to just easy to digest. I guess, I guess like new age is still kind of as a genre is still considered kind of a, a bad word, right? I mean, it's, it, it really is like, you know, it's, it's a specific part of the record store and it's, uh, it has, 
brings to mind some kind of like very specific ideas of who is listening to the music and what people are doing while they listen to the music. Yeah. I want to be able to make something evil. if I want. You have the ability to, to change pretty dramatically from, from song to song. You know, do you feel like as you've been kind of working against that label and as you've worked against that in the past do you feel the need to kind of ugly up the music a little bit? You know, I mean, like, obviously, like, people have got very specific ideas of what the harp is and what harp music sounds like. Mm-hmm. I don't feel the need to um, to do that so on purpose, so deliberately, like, I don't know, I just want the freedom to experiment and make whatever sounds I want. And I think once you get locked into the calming therapeutic aspects of the songs then making something a little bit more abrasive is like a statement that you're making then I don't really want it to be a statement I just want to be able to like switch around and just do whatever I want without oh now she's doing now she's doing this and this is her blah blah blah, record to date this is like a you know oh she's going in a new direction yeah I don't want that to be the story of the music I just want to be able to do whatever I want. That's just how reviews are, right? That's just how, like, <laughs> that's what happens when, when music comes out. And obviously, it it's the reviewer's natural impulse to compare it to the last thing you did. I, I guess, like, in an ideal world, if you had to choose, what would someone's reaction to the album be? I don't really want to choose how, how, you know? I definitely want to feel, I want to be free to make records that don't include the harp at all just have make stuff with different like either solo or with other collaborators that might not be obvious choices that don't really fit into a ambient genre or something like that you know so to keep on surprising myself and keep on surprising people in positive positive ways and also take the heart to different spaces that um don't usually have harps or you know, people don't usually associate with harp. Do you feel that moving ahead, you're going to be making more music without the harp? Maybe. Yeah, I think hopefully people will like that too. Or maybe just minimal harp. I, um, I'm i working on a record now with my friend Paul Sakina, who's a great guitar player. And I was just playing synthesizer. I got a couple synthesizers from a friend who left town during the pandemic and he let me babysit his synthesizers and his bass echo. And I've been playing with those synths. They sound really cool. And some of the songs just like didn't need harp, you know, as I was planning on doing harp overdubs and all um, in what you think like the song calls for in that way, you know, sometimes the harp is just not, needed i guess part of kind of breaking out of that is is showing people that you're able to do more because obviously up till now at this point in your career you know when when people have have asked you to collaborate on something i assume they've got something specific in mind if not necessarily musically but at least the fact you're bringing the harp and and you are and, and just that in and of itself you are bringing something fairly unique i mean i always do love jamming on the harp but i like in philly i played I played synth or keyboard on a cup in a couple of bands and projects. Like my friend Rosalie has a record and I played piano on it. Kind of, I played harp on one of the tracks, but 
I remember really digging into piano overdub. I don't know. It's just, it's fun to play other stuff that's not just harp. And I'm not a great piano player, but it's all coming from the same brain space, I think. You know, like just messing around with instruments and like hearing melodies, like pretty simple melodies that I could play on guitar or whatever it feels like the song needs. Is there something freeing in playing an instrument that you're less familiar with? Definitely. Yeah. Or it's, it's not freeing, but it's like playful, you know, in a way where you're just, and also with new pedals, even playing the harp, but just like with new pedals where you're like, Oh, what would happen if I turn this thing or if I um, loop this sound or whatever, like just staying, keeping things fresh and staying interested in the instruments and like, Curious in the instruments is um, is really that's that's what keeps the love of music alive for me. I think is like just thinking about all the possibility possibilities that there are and combinations of things. How diverse of an instrument is the harp? Do you feel like there are limitations with what you're able to do with it? I think major limitation is just the size and the weight of it. You know, so bringing it somewhere can be limiting or renting them abroad or whatever, just logistically limiting, limiting. But um, as far as sounds go, my, uh, my one like thing that I've been frustrated with in the past is the, uh, the plucking sound, like it not lasting for long enough, you know, I listen to like droney music and the, the, last for a really long the residents. Yeah. Um, and so Recently, I've been uh, experimenting with the volume pedal and trying to capture the sound um, without the pluck, and that's been really fun. And just figuring out figuring out ways to um, overcome those limitations is cool too. I'm actually kind of surprised that that the harp hasn't taken a more prominent position in in ambient music generally the story of the genesis of ambient music of brian eno's genesis obviously there's there's a harp at the center of it mm, yeah like a decorative harp like i feel like very like i'm sure i can't remember what piece it was that was playing but it was like a, a classical harp sonata or something like that and I know. I, I love that story. and Because it's such a, a large and kind of cumbersome instrument that it's perhaps just not taught as much. And it's expensive, super expensive, very cost prohibitive. Like it, it's, it's not, it's something that people have told me that they've always wanted to learn or that they saw one time on, on TV, like they, they heard the Nutcracker or they saw a car, in a cartoon or something, but I think it's been portrayed as something really, really too difficult to learn and too expensive to ever have in your living room or whatever. So I think, I think it definitely needs to become more accessible and it needs, people need to see by example that um, it's not, it can be like, you can play something very simple and it can still be really beautiful or interesting and it doesn't require you to be some like full fledged like classical diva or something to to 
make it sound sound good, you know? You got into it because you're a second generation harpist. <laughs> you got into it because it was something that your mom played and that I assume to some degree was was around the house. Did she kind of, did she nudge you actively in that direction? Yeah, she definitely forced me to play. <laughs> um, when I was a kid, she, she in a good way, like she, she took me to lessons and things when I was 11 years old and was like, okay, now you need to practice. I'm the first daughter, the firstborn daughter. And um, I think she had always dreamt of having a, having a daughter who played the harp. So um, it was kind of a wish of hers. And I didn't love it at first, but then I really grew to love it the better I got. So I think people just need more examples. I mean, my mom and all of her harp friends were examples to me, but um, if I hadn't had that, then I don't know if I would have gravitated towards the instrument just because of its its reputation and its size and and uh, cost. But I think that hopefully there are more examples of people who are playing in different ways and, you know, maybe smaller harps or harps that they rented, you know, just different kinds of harpists now um, are popping up. Um, and so... I think it's making it more accessible to people who are seeing, are hearing it for the first time. You know, it's not such a museum style instrument anymore. It's interesting you, you specified firstborn daughter because it does still feel like a very kind of gendered instrument. It, you do tend to associate it a lot more closely with women generally. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's interesting. Um, in Europe, there are a lot of male harpists and in the orchestras and things. And yeah, I guess just over here, it's, it's kind of like a lot of women play, but I've had students who were guys before and one very cool student, his name was Vance and he was really into archery and he thought he just fell in love with the harp because it reminded him of Bo. Yeah. He was a very, very cool student who would, he would call me after the, you know, midweek and ask and play for me over the phone and ask me if he was doing it correctly and stuff. And, you know, it was really exciting to teach somebody who was so psyched about it. And he lived with his grandfather and he's just like a, a cool character. And I hope, I hope he's continued on with the harp. Yeah, I don't know. I, I've seen lots of pictures of, of other harp teachers who are teaching like group lessons and things um, on Zoom. And I see some boys in there like learning how to play the harp maybe it's that's kind of opening up to hopefully people who are not super familiar with it or familiar with what what it can do tend to think of it as being an orchestral instrument or you know a classical musical instrument and i wonder like on the flip side of that does the harp community i guess in as much as there is a harp community are they largely open to experimentation are they largely open to hearing people do new and interesting things with the instrument i don't um i don't know if I think now, now they are more. I don't know if my music was like fully understood by harp communities as much a couple years ago, but now I think that there's, there's more, there are more harpists doing more experimental things. And I think maybe some of the publications or organizations have seen that that's a way forward rather, you know, than limiting the instrument is like, Oh, just seeing, just making it feel more, welcoming to all people who are wanting to play and be a part of the harp community. 
I felt very honored. I was just on the cover of a magazine, like a big heart magazine called the heart column. And they just cover. And that was like my mom's proudest moment. She's like, oh, she ordered all these copies of it, you know? And I think that was like probably the, the most proud she's been of me was just seeing me on the cover of that magazine and had a really nice interview with the, the editor of that magazine. And yeah, it was great. It was a good sign for me that, that things are kind of getting more diverse and more open in, in the heart world in general. There's some people doing some really cool stuff. People who are my age or younger, who are not just older white women who are playing the harp now. I think that it's, it's opening up or else people have to um, like keep up or else the harp is just going to be a dead instrument after everyone's gone. It has to, to grow to keep up its relevance in the music world. Was that more traditional path forward? Was that kind of orchestral world something that you ever thought? Was there ever a point when you thought that that's what your career as a musician was going to look like? Yeah. Um, when I was in college, I went to Eastman School of Music in Rochester, New York, and I thought that I would probably become an orchestral harpist. And, you know, just I was not the best one in my harp studio I was probably the worst one in my harp studio and these nine other women who were there were were all like very very disciplined and very beautiful harpists and I don't know I just like to goof off a lot and didn't like to practice so so much and I had other jobs was working at two record stores and stuff in Rochester and I found the all the practicing and the very very I don't like being so hard on myself you know you have to be really really hard on yourself when you're learning these pieces that have been played by so many people you know you compare yourself to the other women who are in the harp studio and it's just not it's not productive I think to just be like she played a C sharp there and I played it wrong I played a C flat there you know just like all of that measuring yourself to the other people in the studio and by the end of my my time at the conservatory I was just like okay I'm tired of measuring myself against these other women and also the positions in the heart in the orchestras the there's only one or two harpists that position until they die and so you know you have to wait around for 30 years until someone retires or dies and then all the harpists from all over the world are having auditions and and you see them all I don't know I've never had an audition for an orchestra actually but I would hear about it and like it would be all these people vying for this one spot, lifelong position. And so it's just not that interesting to me to constantly compare myself and and feel intimidated by other people who are like, we're all doing the same thing. And like, no, it's not the way it works. Do you think that had things gone a little differently and, and had you gone gotten first or second chair that, that it could have been creatively fulfilling, that you could have been fulfilled being, you know, essentially doing a life of uh, orchestral playing? I think I would have loved it. I do love playing with the orchestra and um, being surrounded by the sound of all those instruments together and and the camaraderie of, like, working together on something. And, you know, the music is so beautiful. Uh, a lot of the, the pieces that feature the harp or have harp parts, it's just so beautiful. You're swimming around in it, and it's a great feeling. But um, I think I probably would have got would have felt happy about life but but because I romanticize it so much you know so like playing with an orchestra 
would definitely be a romantic, a romantic career choice. Um, and I think I would have felt fulfilled in that way. But then a part of me would always be wonder, would always be like, Oh man, I want to be on the stage of, you know, Johnny Brenda's or somewhere like that, you know, just like kind of miss that aspect of playing in venues that weren't so buttoned up. So I, I might've been able to do both. When was it clear that second path was something that you could do? You know, obviously there weren't, there weren't a ton of examples for you to look at of people who had successful careers playing this instrument in indie clubs and in and around indie bands. I, let's see. Well, I moved to Philadelphia in 2005 and I had never played um, with any band or I was still pretty um, classically driven, uh, you know, playing for weddings and things too, um, background music and, when I moved to Philly, I made a bunch of friends. I got reconnected with some friends I made at Rochester, and they're in this band called Espers. Greg Weeks from Espers was coming up with an alternate score for um, Valerie and Her Week of Wonders, the Czech New Wave film. And he was like, Mary, I want you to play in this 14-person orchestra. We're going to make a new score for Valerie and Her Week of Wonders, and then we're going to um, travel around with the print and screen it in different places and make a record and well, this sounds really fun. I wonder if I can do it. And I was pretty nervous about it. But when we all got together and we started making sounds and coming up with themes and stuff, a couple people in that uh, ensemble were like, oh, you're doing a good job. Oh, I love this melody that you've written. And that encouragement really went a long way with me. And I was like, oh, maybe I can just come up with melodies from the air, you know, or from my mind, like, Maybe I maybe I've absorbed all of this music throughout my whole life, and I can translate that knowledge into something on the harp. Um, now's the time, and so I think that little bit of encouragement and um, and trust that Greg had in I don't know he entrusted me to come up with cool parts for his project, and I don't know I just like I felt good about that, and then I met Kurt Vial. And he was the first person's record I've played on where I was writing harp parts. And so I did that for a long time. I was writing parts for different people's projects. And that was like not full on experimentation or um, improvisation. That was like writing parts that were very specific, but it still was like a creative outlet with the harp. And it was teaching me that I, I could be successful coming up with melodies and making the harp fit in in a different way. Can it be difficult to win over an audience that's come to see indie rock shows and you're, and you're out there with your harp? I don't think so. I think people are, they just never see harps in person. And so there's, they're psyched. And um, I've opened for a lot of different kinds of bands. Like I find that opening for heavier bands specifically is really great, really like very um, absorbing for people. uh, If the band is, really different from my sound you know like like that um combination is really cool and fun to see two different sounding things yeah so I enjoy it and I haven't really found I haven't really played a ton of shows where people talk over it you know I think mysterious to people and so they want to listen so if anything being this kind of singular thing has really worked to your advantage ultimately 
Was the new album written or recorded under quarantine or was that all finished prior to all of this? That was finished. I recorded it end of January. And you said that it's a, it's songs about dead animals and broken hearts. Is that, were those specific examples or was that? Animals on this one. Yeah. I recorded it in Cornwall in the UK. I recorded it with Neil Halstead from Slow Dive. Flew over there. I just met him one time and got it into my mind that I wanted him to produce it. And so been a big slow dive fan for a long time and was curious to hear how he would treat the harp and where he would take it and he had never recorded a harp before so it was we did it in nine days aside from a little bit of mixing for a week or something on Neil's part but yeah just flying over there and hanging out with someone new and being in a new part of the world and playing a new harp and stuff I was like very much absorbing parts of that town and that that part of the world so it was very fruitful in this case specifically writing was part of the recording process is that standard for you yeah a lot of the songs come from improvisation so me just like trying to me pressing record at home and then just trying to capture something and then layering and doing overdubs on top of that so a couple of the songs I brought to Neil as demos um, and then a couple of the song, four of the songs I think came from improvisations where I was just kind of feeling it out and Neil pressed record. And then I was just playing for an hour or so. And then he, he kind of helped shape the parts of the song, you know, like, Oh, this is where it should start. This is where it should end. But a lot of it was just feeling it out and like no dead animals on this record, but dead, dead surfers and dead <laughs> I don't know, wild ocean and da- kind of dangerous waters. Um, I think it's a very water, sea-driven sea record. It's kind of like a little time capsule or a little souvenir from that time. Do you find that your inspiration comes from darker or more depressing things that have happened? Yeah, probably. I think you would be super productive now. Yeah. Well, I don't really write happy songs, like as much as it t- sounds like these are happy or light or something. They're not really. Um, but yeah, right now it's just too, it's too tragic. It's too dark. Um, and I think I'm not alone in saying that, that it's been really hard to write stuff. I know a lot of a lot of other musicians who are also struggling with that too. I talk to a lot of musicians who, again, getting back to people who, who write lyrics and have lyrics in their song, that when something is uh, inspired by a certain event in their life, they tend to, you know, it, it's often hard to kind of avoid reliving that to some degree when you're out there and, and playing it again, you know, when you're singing songs about breakups or something like that. Do you find, in spite of the fact that there are no lyrics, do you find that your own music can be similarly evocative for you? Yeah, for sure. You know, you want to capture that feeling and like feel like feeling and having emotions is cool. It's part of having, it's part of being a human being. And um, so I think that even though some of the songs remind me of painful times, like playing them again, and the way that I play live is, is, you know, there are themes you can tell it's the song, but then there's also room for happy accidents and like plenty of improvisation. I can take it to, new places, take it to darker um, textures or, you know, all depend. It's so it's kind of like the melding of memories and, and the present 
you know, so it's like reliving kind of a feeling, but it's also memorializing how it felt to feel that and like recognizing the human mess, <laughs> you know, human messiness and kind of um, appreciating that stew of, of emotions or whatever. But that being said, you know, take it, take it to where you want to take it. Hopefully, yeah, hopefully people will feel something from it. Even if the feeling, even if the feeling is like trying not to feel anything, <laughs> you know, then this, what you want to with it.